Pint Glass Football Podcast is presented by Better Edge, giving the edge back to the betters with no fee sports betting. At betteredge.com, you, not the books, set the price of betting lines so you can make bank with no VIG or sportsbook fees. Better Edge is available in 45 states for real money sports betting. Create an account and use code PGF for $10 on your first order. Play the game without getting played at betteredge.com. Welcome to the Pint Glass Football Podcast. This is Pint Glass Football. Drink beer, talk football. You guys know what it's about. If you're new to the show, hit that subscribe button. What's up, PGF Nation? I'm your host, Brad Fowler, and McKenzie Brewing is the official beer of Pint Glass Football. Follow them at McKenzie Brewing. Follow us at pintglassfootball.com. Got another great show, guys. Going to talk about some NFL news around the league. Deshaun Watson suspension. The Dolphins getting busted for tampering. I'll give my thoughts on it and where this franchise is right now. I've got my top five NFL breakout players for 2022. And I've got Ryan Wright of Rivals on the show to talk college football recruiting. Lots of big programs, coast to coast. So let's crack a cold one and kick this off. The NFL preseason is here, guys. The Hall of Fame game Thursday night. If you're listening to this early Thursday morning, NFL preseason kicks off tonight. How great is that? Such a great tradition. I love the Hall of Fame game. I know it's only preseason, but man, it is so great to have football back on TV. And you know what it means, guys. It means college football and the NFL are right around the corner. I can't believe it. It's getting close. You can almost smell the fresh cut grass, the whistle blowing, the fans cheering. Oh my gosh, I can't wait, guys. We're getting close. But I want to start today with some NFL news. As you probably already know, the big story this week is the ruling on Deshaun Watson. Now, look, guys, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because it's still ongoing. We got a ruling recently, but this situation, I feel like, is far from over right now. Like most people, I was absolutely shocked that he only received a six-game suspension. I'm sure Roger Goodell and the NFL were shocked as well. They cannot be happy. Behind closed doors, I think the NFL is absolutely furious with the six-game suspension that he received. Now, the NFL announced that they're going to appeal for an indefinite suspension that would be a minimum of one year. I said it all along, guys. That is what the NFL was going to want. They were going to want an indefinite suspension. They want the full year. Deshaun Watson has been dragging the shield through the mud for a while now, and the NFL is not happy about it. Make no mistake about it. They don't want the press they've been getting from this. They want a real punishment for Deshaun Watson and the black eye that he's given the NFL with this whole story. Unfortunately, the saga continues. We're going to find out what's going to happen after the NFL appeals this. We'll find out more soon. Until that happens, until we actually know what's going on with Deshaun Watson and how it's going to affect the Cleveland Browns, I'm moving on for now. 
Now, the other big story this week is that the NFL told the Miami Dolphins that they would be stripped of their 2023 first-round draft pick and a 2024 third-round pick as well. Now, owner Stephen Ross has been suspended as well through October 17th and was fined by the league $1.5 million because the franchise had, quote, impermissible communications with Tom Brady while he was with the Patriots and then the Buccaneers and with Don Yee, the agent for Sean Payton, before he retired. The NFL says that the probe into the Dolphins did not substantiate the tanking claims by Brian Flores, but they did find that, quote, on a number of occasions during the 2019 season, Mr. Ross expressed his belief that the Dolphins' position in the upcoming draft should take priority over the team's win-loss record, end quote. How is that not proof that he wanted his team to tank? They flat out said that priority was in the draft and not the win-loss record. Brian Flores was not lying, and it proves just how big of a joke this franchise really is. Him being fired might have actually been a good thing for his career because how do you coach for an owner like this guy? I mean, honestly, how do you coach for a franchise that's being ran like this? I don't doubt Brian Flores and his story for a second after hearing this. There is no doubt in my mind now that Steven Ross was 100% coming to Flores and asking him to tank games because they clearly were more interested in draft picks than they were winning games. What a joke. Now, with this ruling from the NFL, taking their first-round pick, that one hurts. We know how important first-round picks are. This is a team that had two first-round picks next April, and let's face it, this is a put-up-or-shut-up season for Tua, and they would have had some draft capital to potentially move up and take a top quarterback prospect in a class that many people view as being a deep quarterback class, but now that's going to be tough for them to pull off. I don't think Tua's the guy. I don't believe in Tua. I haven't believed in him for a while. I just don't think he's a franchise quarterback. You guys in PGF Nation, you guys already know that, who've been listening to the show. When you look at this team, the offensive line is still bad. I know they've made some upgrades, but it's not a good offensive line at all. It's one of the worst in the league. They gave up way too much for Tyreek Hill. We talked about that on earlier episodes. Just gave up way too many draft picks, way too much money for a guy who's probably already played his best football. And now they have even less draft capital after this. And I don't believe in Mike McDaniel either, the new head coach. I've heard stories that people in the league rave about how football smart this guy is, but he was the offensive coordinator for only one year in San Francisco. And let's face it, Kyle Shanahan is the real offensive coordinator. He's the one that calls the plays for the Niners. Now, McDaniel is a first-year head coach who's also going to call plays for the first time as well. That's asking a lot of a guy with so little experience. I didn't like this hire from the get-go. Reports stated that his only head coaching interview request was from the Dolphins. Let's face it, guys. If nobody else in the NFL is interested, that's not a good sign. Now, this guy is taking selfies with reporters and was apparently bummed out because he missed Adidas Yeezy Day? Are you kidding me? This guy feels like a joke already. 
What kind of head coach acts like this? Could you ever imagine Mike Tomlin doing that? Bill Belichick, Sean Payton, Andy Reid. None of those guys would do that. I just, the guy doesn't feel like a head coach. He's starting to feel like a punchline that we haven't even played a game yet. And this is really a franchise now. It's a franchise that, quite frankly, I don't think ever gets viewed like we view the Lions, the Jaguars, or the Browns. But maybe it's time we start putting this franchise in that discussion because when you look at this team, they're just poorly run. Now you've got this whole mess really, really unimpressed with the Dolphins in their offseason. Going to be fascinating to see what they can do this year. All right, guys, but with the season right around the corner, I thought it'd be fun to give you guys my top five breakout players for 2022. I want to start on the defensive side of the ball with Nick Bolton, linebacker for the Chiefs. Now, the offense gets all the attention in Kansas City, and rightfully so. We know they're a fireworks show. They're a lot of fun. We get that. But this guy was a second-round pick in 2021, a guy that I really liked coming out of the draft. Now, he made the all-rookie team and had 112 tackles last year. Like I said, really liked him coming out of Missouri. I thought he was a guy that had borderline first-round talent, and he really proved it his rookie year. The guy flies around the field. He's really fun to watch. Sideline to sideline, just makes big plays for Kansas City's defense, really fits in nice with what they want to do, that aggressive defense that Steve Spagnuolo has been known for. Now, he's also pretty good in coverage. This is a guy who can drop back in coverage, still can make plays because, like I said, he's got that type of speed and athletic ability. He had a defensive touchdown last year as well. He is a guy to watch for this year, guys. Next in my top five breakout players, J.C. Horn, the cornerback for Carolina. Everyone talked about how great Patrick Sertan was as a rookie for the Broncos. And don't get me wrong, he's been really good. The guy's been really good. But I was actually quite a bit higher on Horn coming out of the draft than I was Sertan. He got injured early in the year last year. He only played in three games. But in those three games, he really flashed some serious talent. 95 snaps in coverage, only allowed one catch and had an interception. This is a guy who's long, athletic, plays the game with a confident edge to his game. I love this guy's attitude, his demeanor, the way he plays the game. He's got great techniques, great fundamentals, ball skills, you name it. This guy checks just about every single box when you're talking about a big-time number one corner. Of course, he's the son of Joe Horn, former wide receiver for the Saints, so he has that NFL pedigree. He knew what it was going to take to be a big-time player in the NFL. He's known for a while now, and he's got the NFL DNA as well. Now that he's healthy, coming into this year, I'm expecting big, big things from J.C. Horn. Next guy on my list, this one is an obvious one here, guys. This is a guy that a lot of people are picking for a breakout year, and that's Trevor Lawrence, quarterback for the Jaguars, one of the highest-graded, most impressive college quarterbacks we've ever seen. I was sky high on this guy when we were doing our draft breakdowns of him. So was just about every other analyst. We've known about this guy for years. He came onto the scene at Clemson, was an instant star in college, one of the most successful college quarterbacks we've ever seen. But let's face it, he had a pretty disappointing year one. To be fair to Trevor Lawrence, though, he was also dealt a pretty bad hand with Urban Meyer as his head coach. I hated that hire from day one. I said it on this podcast, didn't like it, never thought it was going to work. 
but it was even worse than I could have imagined. I mean, it was terrible, a total dumpster fire that he created in Jacksonville. Now, enter Doug Peterson, former NFL quarterback, a Super Bowl champion, and a guy who's really respected across the league. Peterson is going to lean into Lawrence's strengths, and he's going to provide some much, much needed stability for this franchise and for a young quarterback like Trevor Lawrence. Now, remember, guys, Peyton Manning was pretty bad year one as well. And he turned it around quickly, went on to have a Hall of Fame career as a former number one overall pick. I expect the same from Trevor Lawrence. Now, look, I know those are big shoes, and he may never live up to being a guy like Peyton Manning, who is, in most people's opinion, a top five quarterback of all time. I'm not saying he'll reach those levels, but he has the skills to do it. He's that kind of talent. He's a good enough player coming out of college that we all think he could potentially reach Hall of Fame level. But I think right now Jaguars fans would just settle for solid, above-average starting quarterback level. I expect that and maybe a little more this year in Jacksonville. Another young guy that I think is going to break out this year is Jerry Judy, the wide receiver for the Denver Broncos. He had a nice but quiet rookie season in 2020 with 856 yards, three touchdowns. But then he had a disappointing 2021. He missed seven games with injury. He also missed a game with COVID. But he was also with Teddy Bridgewater and Drew Locke. And it's safe to say that Russell Wilson coming over to Denver is a massive, massive upgrade from those two guys. I expect him to have a big-time role in this offense. Wide receiver Tim Patrick recently tore his ACL. Really unfortunate for him. Kind of an underrated player around the league. A good wide receiver. It's not great for Denver. I mean, let's face it. Losing a guy like that doesn't help. But I think it's even more of a reason that Wilson is going to look early and often to go to Jerry Judy. I think Judy becomes the big-time number one option in this offense, and I expect a big year from this guy. One of the best route runners in the league, athletic wide receiver. He's going to have one of the best quarterbacks in the league thrown in the ball, and I expect a 1,000-yard-plus type of season, and he's going to find the end zone a bunch this year. Big things for Jerry Judy. Sticking in the AFC West to round out my top five breakout players in the NFL this year, Asante Samuel Jr., cornerback for the Chargers. He was a 2021 second-round pick, another guy I really liked coming out of the draft. Not trying to brag here, guys, but I think I've hit on a few of these. If you guys follow the draft coverage, I've missed on some guys, but I've hit on a lot of the guys I like have turned out to be really good players. This is another guy that's starting to prove me right. He had a really solid rookie season. Another guy who's a son of a former NFL player. He had a good year last year with 11 passes deflected, two interceptions. He missed some games with a concussion. He's another guy who's coming back healthy and with the defensive additions that the Chargers made, guys like J.C. Jackson, an all-pro corner on the other side, Asante Samuel is going to match up even better versus lesser wide receivers. It's going to take some of the pressure off him, having J.C. Jackson on the other side, and guys like Khalil Mack now up front and getting after quarterbacks, enhancing that pass rush. I think it's going to allow a guy like Asante Samuel to be even more aggressive in coverage. I can't wait to see these guys this year. 
Excited to be joined by Ryan Wright, who's a national recruiting analyst for Rivals.com, who specializes in the Southeast region. Ryan, thanks for coming on the show. Brad, thanks for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, I'm excited too, Ryan. This is going to be a lot of fun. I've been really looking forward to this, breaking down some of the biggest recruits, some of the biggest programs across the country. You guys at Rivals do such a great job, and I'm excited to learn about some of these guys. I want to start with some five-star quarterbacks. Obviously, the biggest name here is Arch Manning, the nephew of Peyton and Eli Manning, the number one recruit in the nation. He really shocked some people, Ryan, when he went to Texas. I think a lot of people thought he would be at one of those SEC schools. We've been hearing about him for years now because of the last name, obviously. But what type of quarterback is Texas getting? Where does he really shine? Well, I, I think the the pedigree with the family, looking at just the acumen and understanding the game, <laughs> is has to be what separates Arch Manning or what should separate him when he gets to the collegiate level from others. The skills, the technique, the understanding of what's going on, that's all one would just think is just completely ingrained in him. Um, what will be interesting is seeing him go from um, you know his school in New Orleans to the Big 12, SEC, wherever Texas is at, whenever he starts really you know starting to take live reps um, at that time. And just that adjustment um, that all high school players have to make when they go to that next level. But just kind of separating him from his peer group um, it would have to just be the the knowledge and understanding of the game um, and all that comes with being a Manning. Yeah, and that makes total sense with Peyton and Eli and, of course, the grandfather, Archie. You've got football royalty, really, with the last name and with so much knowledge about the quarterback position. I'm sure he's so far ahead of the curve for a young quarterback, just having so much knowledge about reading defenses, the mechanics of the game, all of those things I'm sure play in huge. And that's probably a huge reason why he's been so high on so many people's list. It's going to be really exciting. I know it's created a ton of buzz for Texas football and they should be excited rightfully so because he's going to be a lot of fun to watch. I want to jump to the West coast here. USC has been, has been creating a lot of buzz after hiring Lincoln Riley and what he brings to the table, not only as a coach, but as a recruiter as well. He lands five-star quarterback Malachi Nelson. He's a California kid, a local kid. Tell us about his game. He's just a pure thrower. <laughs> and uh, I think USC is getting, a, obviously, a fantastic quarterback. Uh, I, I do see him as a true five-star. Uh, I think he's going to make a big impact in the Pac-12. Yeah, that's going to be exciting to see. And we've seen quarterbacks have so much success with Lincoln Riley, I mean, multiple Heisman Trophy winners. His offense is really second to none as far as nationally and what he can do with so much talent. It's going to be really exciting to see what he does in Southern California and what type of player he can become. I'm, I'm not sure he's going to be starting right away because obviously they've got some serious players at the quarterback position there at USC, but the future remains really bright for what they're building there in Southern California, and that's a big-time get for the Trojans. Now, the other big program out West, of course, is Oregon, who's been recruiting at a high level, especially in recent years under Mario Cristobal. Now they bring in Dan Lanning from Georgia as the new head coach, and he's off to a great start in recruiting as well, landing five-star quarterback Dante Moore. What kind of player did the Ducks get with Moore? 
So uh, yeah, I've seen uh, the five-star quarterbacks uh, this this year, except for Manning. Um, so I saw Dante uh, in Miami at a seven-on-seven battle of Miami, and again, strong arm, big guy. Um, I, he to me looks bigger than you know what he's listed at six-three, one ninety-nine. But definitely a pocket passer. Nico Amalave was at that same seven-on-seven uh, seven tournament. It shows you some of the star power they had there. Um, but Dante, um, again, you know, he's got a great arm. Got to see them go against South Florida Express. For those that don't know, South Florida Express 7-on-7 seven seven team is just absolutely loaded. It's five-star Brandon Enos uh, receiver, five-star receiver Akeem Williams, four-star running back Nathaniel Ray-Ray Joseph, uh, Dijon Johnson, um, who's a uh, four-star corner going to Ohio State. Talk about just an offensive juggernaut of a game and watching those two guys or those two teams compete. It was fantastic. But Dante definitely, you know, looked the part, just the one competing against those top Florida talents. Yeah, that's what I've been hearing too. I, I've heard some really good things about this guy. I know it's been a big-time get for Dan Lanning in his first class at Oregon. Two years in a row now, the Ducks bring in a five-star quarterback. It's going to be really exciting to see what he can do in that offense and what he's going to bring to Eugene for the Ducks. With recruiting going forward, I really do think USC and Oregon have a great opportunity with NIL to take a big step forward. They're they're both high-profile programs already. USC, where they're at in Los Angeles, I think it speaks for itself, but there's obviously a lot of money there, a lot of opportunity with the collectives and also with NIL for players to do really well. So USC traditionally recruits well from where they're at, and they, a little bit under Hilton, didn't recruit maybe on a national level the way that they that they used to. But I think with Lincoln Riley's background, recruiting and Norman on a larger scale, I, I think he's just has such a great opportunity here. And if he can translate how well he typically recruits, how well he does with his offenses, and start winning, start winning Pac-12 championships. I think USC is going to be back to a juggernaut um, and it's going to be amazing to watch. The other also with Oregon, with the Phil Knight money (laughs) and uh, Eugene, Oregon under Cristobal recruiting on a national level. Dan Lanning has the background recruiting with Georgia out of the SEC. So he has some pipelines, um, some opportunities to, to pull guys out of Florida and Georgia. And again, typically very wealthy school uh, with Phil Knight uh, back in them. So it's going to be interesting to see how all that plays out. But those two teams definitely going forward with the NIL, with collectives, uh, have a great opportunity to be major players on uh, on the national level. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And, I'm, and I totally get what you're saying too, because money matters more than ever in college athletics, like you touched on with the NIL. And I think you're right. Those are two schools that I think could really cash in big. And now with USC really just having a ton of momentum, not only with Lincoln Riley, of course, but the move to the Big Ten and the infusion of money and exposure that that's going to bring. I am totally with you. I think USC is going to be right back to the powerhouse program that we saw in the early 2000s. I don't think it's going to be long before they're knocking on the door of the college football playoff. I I completely agree with you. And as far as Oregon, you're right. It's really an endless stream of money when you're talking about guys like Phil Knight and Nike and some of the things they can do 
and you mentioned Dan Lanning. I love the momentum that I've seen with him in this program and his ability, like you said, to recruit in the South and other parts of the country. It's going to be huge. We've already seen it with the five-star quarterback, like we mentioned, and Dante Moore, and some of the things that he's been able to do early at Oregon. So I mentioned former Oregon coach Mario Cristobal. He now takes over at Miami and has made an instant impact in recruiting. We talked about how great a recruiter he was at Oregon. He's continuing this trend here at Miami, including four-star quarterback Jaden Rashada. Tell us about him and about Mario Cristobal's first recruiting class in Miami. Jaden's another smooth passer, you know, really good. Pittsburgh, California, it's a little bit kind of north central, um, uh, but not competing against South California um, competition. But he has made the rounds, gone to the camps, and showed that you know he's a top performer um, as a quarterback. So they're getting a fantastic talent in him. Um, they they kept him away from Florida. Miami did um, so big win for them. Um, looking at the overall class, you just see all the time spent. Cristobal uh, had put into Jaden Wayne um, and then now Jaden Wayne's at IMG Academy. Um, so I think that made an easier transition for Jaden to transition away from like University of Washington and other Pac-12 schools. Talk about a five-star beast off of the end. Um, that's that's where they're getting Jaden Wayne. Another one just mentioned, um, Nathaniel Ray Ray Joseph, such an amazing all-purpose back. Um, I think he's going to be a difference maker in the ACC years going ahead. Another one that I'm really excited about um, as an athlete, he's a receiver, kick and punt returner, and that's uh, uh, Robbie Washington. Great overall talent. So there's just so many different pieces. Um, obviously, Francis Malga, also at IMG, he's a four-star, could end up being a five-star uh, offensive tackle when everything is said and done. He's kind of on that cusp. So that's another big pickup. Raul Popo Aguirre, Another big pickup for them at linebacker. They just got um, the top-rated linebacker, Malik Bryant, today out of the Orlando area. So just – I could keep going. <laughs> just wins everywhere across the board. So they they put a lot in on the offensive side so far with, I think, just going off the top of my head, if they have 15 commits – Maybe only five of them are on the defensive side of the ball. So they've done really well on offense. Um, I'm going to be excited to see maybe kind of how they transition to the defensive side of the ball and start acquiring talent um, to help stop ACC teams going forward. Pint Glass Football Podcast is presented by Better Edge, bringing the edge back to the betters with no fee sports betting. At BetterEdge.com, you, not the books, set the price of betting lines so you can make bank. Better Edge is available in 45 states for real money sports betting. Play the game without getting played at BetterEdge.com. Yeah, he's really put together a heck of a class, and I'm not surprised at all. Like I said, we saw what he did at Oregon and all the big-time recruits that he was getting out there on the West Coast. And now with so much talent in his own backyard, it doesn't surprise me at all that he's putting together a heck of a young team at Miami. It also doesn't surprise me that he's getting some big-time offensive and defensive linemen like you spoke of. That was something that he did at a really high level in Eugene, obviously being a former offensive lineman, and the philosophy of his team is really built in the trenches. Now, speaking of new head coaches, Brian Kelly moves on from Notre Dame, and Marcus Freeman takes over for him, and he has the Irish at the top of the class rankings on Rivals.com. Who are the big recruits to watch out for in this class? 
Well, there's <laughs> there's a lot. Of course, they have the five star here out of uh, Tampa. Uh, I'm in Florida. Uh, Keon Keeley. I just got a chance uh, last week to spend some time with Keon. Uh, legit six five and a half, six six, athletic defensive end. Just going to be a tear off the off of the edge. But just a beast of a player. Really great kid too. I mean, they've just recruited from all over the country. I haven't seen all of these guys. I have seen Braylon James, um, the Texas receiver, four-star. He was at the Future 50 uh, a couple weekends ago. Got to see him. Fantastic. Um, I've seen uh, Aiden Schuler, another fantastic uh, defensive back out of New Jersey. Drake Bowen um, out of Indiana, a great linebacker. So, again, have a lot of talent. A lot of it seemingly has been focused on defense um, with them outside of the offensive line. And I think that they really kind of stacked up there. Um, to make themselves better. Excited to see uh, how they kind of fill out the rest of that class and um, try to get that quarterback that they they may want for the future. Yeah, I've been really impressed with what Marcus Freeman has done taking over. When you lose a guy like Brian Kelly, who's had so much stability and so much success at Notre Dame, for him to depart, we always see this, it seems like, when coaches leave for other programs. Sometimes you see a drop-off in recruiting, and sometimes it can take a year or two for the new coach to kind of establish recruiting levels again. Clearly, that's not the case in Notre Dame. For them to be right there at the top, of the recruiting rankings really says a lot about Marcus Freeman and the stability that he's been able to keep there. I know he was on the staff with Brian Kelly, so that probably helped the transition, but really impressed with the kids that he's brought in and the talent that he's brought in. I'm sure Notre Dame fans have got to be excited to see these young Irish players take over here shortly. Now, I mentioned Brian Kelly. He's now the head coach at LSU, and they're a team that's also really moved up the recruiting rankings. What has Kelly been able to do in recruiting for the Tigers to have them positioned as a top 10 recruiting class, according to rivals? It's kind of been a a weird, quiet, slow progression for them. There really hasn't been that that drop-off. Some of these programs just kind of had a lull and haven't really shot forward, you know, haven't shot forward like A&M. They've been really quiet. You know, Miami just, you know, went crazy. Georgia, Alabama has gone crazy in the last month. Um, But with LSU, with the 2023 class, it's just been a consistent pickup of guys that are top on their board through March, April. June may have been a little bit quiet, but you start getting into July and it's just four-star after four-star that they've added. Running back Caleb Jackson, in-state recruit for them. I was really impressed that they added Jalen Brown out of Miami, a four-star receiver. That, to me, is definitely a feather and a cap recruit for Brian Kelly and his his group. But yeah, again, could keep going down the line. But in, again, they're recruiting on a national scene. So it's going to be interesting getting back into the state of Louisiana. There's so many great players there and just to see how that all shapes up um, for them. So they have the opportunity not only to be a top 10 class, but maybe they secure their stay, get a couple guys out of Texas. Um, you know, they, they might be flirting with the top five team again. Yeah, it's it's not surprising to see that from LSU. We know this is a program that's recruited at a high level for a long time, regardless of who was coaching there. But like you mentioned, Brian Kelly's done a really nice job bringing in a big-time infusion of talent. Like you said, it seems like they just keep adding more and more guys and have really climbed the rankings there. So another exciting class for them. Now, I want to jump to the Big Ten, and the best team in that conference, of course, is Ohio State. 
They've been a powerhouse for years now. They bring in another loaded recruiting class that, quite frankly, is as good as any in the nation. Tell us about this next group of Buckeyes. Well, starting off the top at receiver, I've seen Carnell Tate, Brandon Enos, uh, the aforementioned South Florida Express 717 team. I've seen Tate uh, with IMG Academy a few times and Brandon Enos with uh, American Heritage. Great players, different in their approach and the way they do everything. Carnell Tate definitely can take the top off of a defense. Crispy routes, very good. And Enos is just an explosive type of athlete. So they got two fantastic receivers there. I know they also have Bryson Rogers out of Florida, another great pickup for them. So completely loaded there. Cedric Hawkins is a fantastic athlete out of Florida that they have. And it looked like Ohio State was going to completely dominate the state of Florida the way Georgia did last year. And I think uh, going back to Miami, that Miami has kind of put a little bit of a stop to some of that. Ohio State just kind of came into the Sunshine State and took what they wanted. But anyway, but yeah, great, great players. Uh, Mark Fletcher, also from American Heritage, a bruising running back, can go between the tackles. Mentioned to John Johnson earlier, also on that South Florida Express uh, team playing corner. I've seen him several times, just saw him at the Future 50. Just great technique, speed, explosive, quick hips, all the things that you want. Also at the Future 50, um, and sadly, He's at the lower end of their, you know, recruiting tier, but he's a fantastic player, and that's Jelani Thurman, the tight end. And Jelani is a legit six 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 seven. Um, he's going to be that difference maker on offense and be able to exploit linebackers and and safeties uh, there, given how explosive Ohio State's offense is already. So great pickup there, but yeah. Like you said, top to bottom, that this class right now is shaping up to be just as good as any other in the in the 2023 class. Yeah, not not surprising. Like I said, a powerhouse program that continues to reload. You mentioned some high profile receivers. That's great for Ohio State because they've lost some really big time receivers to the NFL draft this last April. And it looks like they're reloading at the position again. They've really become a factory for wide receivers, and they have such an explosive offense. We know about their quarterback and how good he is. So a lot of exciting players coming in to Ohio State, and it's going to be exciting to see how they get incorporated here in the next year or two. Now, I want to jump down to the ACC and talk about the premier program down there. Clemson, of course, had a down year by their standards, but they responded with one of the best recruiting classes in the country, led by players like defensive tackle Peter Woods and four-star wide receiver Noble Johnson. Tell us about this talented group for the Tigers. Starting off, we were talking about quarterbacks earlier. I saw Chris Fazina. He had a great 2021 season, saw him in December. Got to see him work out with a seven-on-seven there in the state of Alabama. And he is an exceptional quarterback. I think he's going to do really well. I think Clemson all the way around, even with DJ, um, very loaded uh, with arm talent there on that roster, will be anyway. So going on down, um, a defensive back, Avion Terrell, is uh, a fantastic recruit. I know they have a couple others coming. <laughs> I can't I can't announce here, but um, this class is shaping up just amazing. AJ Hoffler, Stephon Green, D. Creighton, Vic Burley. They just they went into the state of Georgia and just again got all the talent that they wanted. Um, so great job with Clemson um, recruiting that state. The thing that I think is going to be most important for Clemson. I know they have three or four, maybe three uh, offensive line commits. 
But I, I think that's the thing that has hurt them uh, in the win-loss column, taking the talent from the recruiting and putting it in action and developing is at the offensive line position. You just look at the way uh, DJ played last year, um, even going when Trevor Lawrence was there and um, the running back play, they did really well against lesser tier ACC teams. And when they got into the playoff against the bigger defensive fronts, that offensive line didn't do as well. So for me, what I would like to see from Clemson to get them back where they were, their their standard, if you will, it's going to be how well they recruit the offensive line position and how they develop that. And I know that they have four stars coming in in the 2023 class, but that will be I think what's needed with all this changeover that Clemson's experiencing with their their coordinators. Yeah, that's fascinating. And we know how important it is to have quality line play, and that's going to play a big role. So that's something to watch for here. I, I thought it was interesting that you said Clemson has done such a good job recruiting the state of Georgia, especially with the success and especially recent success of the Georgia Bulldogs, for them to be able to go into their backyard and get some of the top recruits is really impressive. Georgia, as we know, has become a real hot spot for high school talent. They produce a ton of it. So that's huge for Clemson to be able to get some of those guys. So I'm sure that's exciting to see what they're going to bring to the table. Now, I want to finish with some SEC programs. Texas A&M, you briefly touched on them, but this is a team that's been recruiting at a really high level in recent years. They find themselves as only the 53rd rated class and the 10th rated class in the SEC. That's surprising. That really surprised me when I saw that. What's the story behind Texas A&M's recruiting this year? I'm sure Aggies fans aren't excited to see that ranking on sites like Rivals.com. I think I I wish I knew the answer. Uh, <laughs> so this is going to be per, uh, purely speculative. I, I as well am concerned for them and 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 puzzled. To your point about seeing them as a 53rd ranked team, transversely, Texas finished. I, I know A and M had the number one class um, in 2022, but Texas finished ranked fifth. Right now, they're third overall in the 2023 class. So. It can't be pushed that the Texas kids aren't committing. They're just not committing to A&M right now. I know that there's a lot of four stars that are coming up in the month of August out of the Lone Star State that are supposed to be committing. So maybe A&M really starts to ascend and and grab some of those guys and, and makes that move. Um, you know, they probably need, you know, four or five, <laughs> four stars to slide from 53rd to, you know, get close, if not into the top 20. So I think a lot of ground could be made up soon, but just trying to assess where they're at now and why they're not doing as well with only six commits, it, it is very confusing and puzzling to see them there. Yeah, I was flat out shocked by it. To see some of the schools, especially in the SEC that are ahead of them, was really surprising to see them that far down the ranks. Like you said, after having so much success in recent years recruiting, it was really surprising to see them down there and and clearly not landing some of the big prospects that they've been looking at. But like you said, there's still time for them to make up ground. So for Aggies fans out there that might be a little worried about this class, sounds like they still could make a push here and climb up those rankings. Now, speaking of SEC rankings, the defending national champion Georgia Bulldogs are ranked first in the SEC, fourth nationally. They have a lot of talent like we touched on in their own backyard, and it looks like they capitalized on it this year. Who are the ones to watch out for for the Bulldogs? 
Yeah, and this 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 class could get a little bit more interesting with some five stars that are that are out there, like Sam and Pimba out of IMG. So th- this class, and also with Alabama, the, it's it's going to be very interesting how everything ends up. <laughs> but what Georgia has already committed, one of the guys that just committed, I like a lot out of North Carolina, uh, Jamal Jarrett, defensive tackle. I think he's a beast. He's really good. Uh, Kelton Smith is a three-star, um, but he's somebody that has all the potential in the world. And it, it'll be interesting to see how he develops once he's on campus with that staff. Um, and I do believe that staff does a good job of developing their offensive linemen. Troy Bowles, arguably one of the best or is one of the best uh, linebackers in the 2023 class, son of Tampa Bay Bucks head coach. So again, going back to the acumen and understanding knowledge of the game, plus he's a, a very good athlete. Um, so that's a great pickup for them. I've seen Janelle Aguero a couple of times, great DB athlete out of Massachusetts, definitely a four-star prospect and talent. That'll be a playmaker for Georgia on the field. And the list keeps going with, um, you know, different guys, Jonathan Hughley, uh, offensive tackle. I think he's somebody that could uh, develop and be one of those three-year starter types for them. So Ryan, like I said in the intro, you're not just a national recruiting analyst, but you specialize in the Southeast. So I want to touch on the Florida Gators. This is a big time program. As we know, in the SEC, they always have a ton of NFL talent that they crank out every year. And that always starts with recruiting. So who are the guys to watch for, for the Gators? Who are some of the big recruits that they've been able to land this year? I see on rivals, they've got several four stars. Tell us about this class for the Florida Gators. Yeah, Isaiah Nixon is a big one for them. That that was a big pickup. Uh, Sharif Denson, somebody else, defensive back that I've seen. I think he's he's going to be that cover guy um, that that's really going to help in the SEC. Treon Webb is is a bigger guy, but he kind of has that all-purpose ability to him. So I think it's a great pickup on offense and allows some versatility for for the Gators with their with their new offense um, going forward. You know, Najee Harris. He's a three-star with us. I've seen him a lot. He's that grinder at guard. I mean, I could see him potentially coming in and cracking the depth chart early. I mean, like potentially as a freshman. So he's at IMG going up against top defensive tackles in practice and then with their national schedule. So hopefully that transition, um, kind of as mentioned before, into the next level won't be as difficult for him. But those are a couple guys that, that really stand out. I like Gavin Hill as a defensive end. I saw him playing seven-on-seven, seven, playing tight end. Saw some shoestring catches from him. Just a fantastic athlete. Again, he's a defensive end playing tight end, seven-on-seven seven out there running around with everybody and, and making plays. It was fantastic to watch. So those are a couple of guys that, that really stand out to me. Bryce Lovett, also offensive lineman. One thing I want to say about Florida – they, I know they're ranked 29th right now currently with rivals. Would not be surprised. I don't know, you know, the different uh, numbers and the equations and calculations to go in to see where they're going to end up. But um, I could see them jumping into the uh, top 20. All right. Well, that's exciting for Gator fans. It sounds like they're not done yet making some noise. So that'll be exciting to see how they finish here. And and that's the thing, too, that we've kind of touched on here. These recruiting classes they aren't set in stone yet. They're still moving parts here. There's still guys that haven't signed. So, you know, a lot of these rankings can change as we've been talking about here, but it's exciting to kind of see where things are at so far. Now, as we know, we talked about Georgia, the defending national champs in the SEC. 
they may be the champs, but we know Alabama obviously is the gold standard in college football. And it always starts with recruiting, of course, something that Nick Saban and his staff really do as well as any program in the country. It looks like they've added talent to the secondary and they've landed quarterback Eli Holstein, who was once a verbal commit to Texas A&M, a team that we touched on that's been really kind of underachieving here in recruiting so far. What can you tell us about this year's class for the Tide? Uh, they're they're very good. Um, I, I'm just wondering, again, looking at, um, you know, maybe which five stars they might be able to add to this class to round it out to put them into the top five. If you look at the class overall, um, right now, um, they just got into the top 10, ranked number eight. I know Nick Saban wants to be at the top and will push for it. So they have 15 commits. I'm not sure with Transfer Portal, if they're going to try to take a full class, if they'll go 25, whatever it may be. But I see this class rising. It is already loaded, as you mentioned. Some of the top guys that really stand out to me, Eli Holstein, again, you mentioned it was an A&M commit, transferred. I, I think it was between him and, and Arch Manning. For Alabama, it was between Manning and Holstein, and Holstein committed first, and then Manning ended up going to Texas. So watching that going down the line to kind of that wondering what if, uh, if Manning had committed first, uh, how everything would work out. So that's something to kind of watch maybe just for the fans. One of the guys that I think is fantastic in my eyes is a five-star caliber player is Justice Haynes. He's a top-rated player, um, top-rated running back in the nation. They got him out of the state of Georgia. Alabama also got Caleb Downs, the top-rated player out of the state of Georgia overall. So two big pickups, kind of chess moves against his uh, former protege, against Kirby Smart there. Those were big wins, not only for the program talent-wise, but also taken away from, from Georgia as they compete in the SEC. I'm sure they'll see each other probably SEC championship game again here very, very soon. <laughs> Some other guys I like. So we talked about Eli Holstein. I do like Dylan Wonergan. He's a two-sport athlete. Um, he's a quarterback, also plays baseball. He's somebody to watch out for. I know Stanford, some other teams are really high on him um, and within his top five. That's somebody, Eli Holstein may get the uh, headlines, but Dylan is a very good quarterback. Excited to see what he'll do once he gets on campus. Requeezy McEldry. Man, I like him. Just talk about a grinder as an offensive lineman. I see him starting off uh, in the interior. I don't know if he's big enough to be uh, an Alabama offensive tackle, but uh, that guy um, is going to move some piles uh, <laughs> playing guard early in his career for, for Bama. So I uh, really like him. Watch out for him. Yeah, it sounds like the Crimson Tide are loading up once again. Not surprising. We know, like I said, this has been the gold standard in college football for years now. To see all these big-time recruits that they're getting again, like I said, no surprise, but it's always exciting to see the next group of guys and to see who's going to be playing in the next couple of years to come here for these big-time programs that we touched on today. And it's really been exciting to have Ryan Wright on the show. He's a national recruiting analyst for Rivals.com who specializes in the Southeast region. It has been awesome getting to talk about all these players with you and really to break down the future of college football because the future is now when you're talking about recruiting. Ryan, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been an absolute blast. Brad, thanks for having me. I enjoyed myself. I'd love to do it again. That is going to do it for today's episode presented by Better Edge. Hope you enjoyed it, PGF Nation. Hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out on new episodes, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to the Pint Glass Football Podcast. 
Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Twitter at PGF Podcast.